Welcome to Create Photography. This is Daniel Sig. In today's episode, we will have a conversation with Dominic Narr. Dominic was born in Switzerland and grew up in Hong Kong. In 2004, Dominic started to work as a professional photographer for the South China Morning Post in Hong Kong. Dominic has devoted himself to documenting conflicts, humanitarian crises and critical social issues across the world. He has received numerous awards for his work, including World Press Photo Award, and his work has been exhibited internationally. He is also an educator, teaches photo workshops, and is an ambassador for Leica. Dominic, welcome to Create Photography. I look very much forward to speaking with you today. You grew up in Hong Kong, and in 2004, you started working for a newspaper in Hong Kong as a photographer. You were still in college then. Can you tell me a little bit more about your beginnings in professional photography? Sure. Uh, thanks, Daniel, for the invite, uh, and I'm glad this worked out. Um, I started uh, as a professional press photographer at the South China Morning Post because one of my first mentors decided that that's what I will do. Um, he kind of asked me if I was good in school and I knew I wasn't and told him I wasn't. And he said, great, well, you'll become a photographer. And um, he already had called the newspaper ahead of time and practically told me that this is what I will be doing <laughs> rather than asking that if I wanted to do this, which I think if you're sort of late teens, early 20s is the best way to move forward, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> life just kind of presents itself and yep. and you, you have to take it. There's no long <laughs> thinking about it. Um, and this, this really helped me to propel me into the world of photojournalism in a fast track way because being at a newspaper is like being in a boot camp. Um, you know, six days a week you're working between five to 15 assignments and you really have to work the problem and no excuses, you know. So um, it mm -hmm. was a really good way to, to get into being a professional photographer. Um, and it was a, 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 like a start that I really appreciate and I think got me to, to uh, understand what it meant to be a photographer. Mm -hmm. And and do I understand that correctly? You were still in college then, right? Uh, uh, when... I actually was uh, between college and high school. Okay. Um, okay. Um, I was. I, I had uh, done. I finished high school and then went to college for a year and then came back and that's when I um, did my sort of um, break um, yeah. and um, uh, started this internship in a way. Um, and then also the internship was quite funny because it, they just said sort of shadow people, watch people, and that's all you should do. And the first day I already took pictures and mm -hmm. uh, ran to the, you know, to the developing, to f develop my film and then presented my pictures of the same assignments that I was shadowing <laughs> to oh. say that, I, that I could do it yeah. as well. And yeah. I, I told them that mine were better, but I'm sure they weren't. But maybe I was <laughs> so committed to, you know, being a photographer, I blindly... Uh, you know, talked my way into things, and and really that night I I, I received my first digital camera, one DS, okay. uh, not one DS, a one D four megapixel Canon, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, four point two megapixel Canon, um, and that's that was kind of the start, yeah. But I I had then uh, after the internship gone back to 
university and actually changed from my film uh, degree to photography. So it okay. really helped me, motivate me to change my degree completely. But so you, so, so you, so you kind of did start with film photography and then kind of transitioned over to to digital. Is, is yeah. yeah, I think I'm I'm the first generation digital photographer because I think the film stuff was the analog stuff was still as a student. Uh, you know, I, yep. I actually never did a I never had a, an assignment with analog. So okay. I really started my the first day I was a professional photographer was with a digital camera. Um, so, so I really it. feel like one of those one of the first generations where yep. you know the Canon 10D came out, um, yep. and uh, some of my buddies had already you know bought that camera, and we were like, "What is going on? This is yeah. incredible!" <laughs> uh, and I had then opted for the 20D. Um, that was my first digital, digital camera. Yeah, yeah. So, so Dominic, have you always been interested in photography, or how did you know how did other than you know through the through the newspaper, how did that come to you? I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I think that there were hints of it before. Obviously, I think the the Humaness, who was a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer, wouldn't have recommended me for the newspaper. I think he has had been watching me and my progression within my own photography to notice that I was going in a in a in in that direction that felt mm -hmm. also right for him to promote my work and tell me to work at the newspaper. But yeah, I started quite early. I think sort of eleven, twelve when I started taking pictures. Oh, okay. Um, and mostly because I didn't remember anything, and my, my parents were kind of upset that I kept forgetting everything. Um, and their logic was to make sure I used a camera to document everything, oh, yeah. so I wouldn't forget. <laughs> and it was really oh, kind of cool. a, a a way to remember what's going on or what we experienced together as a family during yeah. holidays and things like that. Uh, and yeah. Quite quickly, sort of at 16, 15, 16, I started documenting everything. Like also being out, my friends, kind of band shows, what you would do, but yep. really consecutively photographing and having a camera with me every day. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, I didn't realize how many negatives uh, I had until <laughs> I went uh, and uh, packed up my mom's stuff in Hong Kong when she moved to Switzerland. And it was incredible. It was like so many negatives. So I'm really thankful <laughs> to my parents for actually, you know, paying for all the development. I think I yeah. took that for granted as a kid. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, no. Really and you still have you still have them, I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah all of them. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that's no, wonderful. I can't wait to go through them all because I think it should be quite interesting to see what I oh, saw yeah. then. Obviously. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that would be and, super fun. Yeah, and then <laughs> I, um, I, uh, one of sort of a pivotal moment for me quite early on was when I photographed my grandmother's funeral and I had two mm. rolls of black and white film and it was really important for me to document this so I wouldn't forget it and sort of that work that I did then was quite mature um I somehow photographed it a bit differently I was went I, I don't know how to explain it but it just felt a bit more cinematic it felt more emotional mm. than mm. the other work that I had been doing and that was sort of the turning point for a lot of other uh, people who saw my work that felt like this was something different mm -hmm. this had uh, more depth and and more uh, uh more of a language and a, yeah. and a, a personal language than the other other stuff that yeah. i was doing is that work that is shared somewhere or is is um that particular um from or, or not really is that's not something you're sharing on no your i sometimes share it um okay. I, okay. i've i've had uh conversations about that work because it is quite it, it it really defined also the direction i was going even with the idea of documenting emotions and death yeah. and, and and remembering the good times but also the bad and that was also a moment where i also didn't just photograph my friends or bands but i i tried to document life with yeah. my family as well in the good and the bad times mm-hmm mm-hmm 
Oh, not great. Thanks for sharing that. And um, so, so I read you left the newspaper in 2006 to cover the civil unrest in East Timor for the uh, French press agency. And I, hit, I had to brush up my history a little bit, but my understanding is that this conflict is not to be confounded with the original invasion of the Indonesian army to East Timor, and um, which led to this 25-year-old conflict of violence and genocide. Um, and, and I think 200 civilians died and soldiers um, during over that time period. But can you tell me a little bit more about this 2006 East Timor conflict? Yeah, so a lot of the photographs... Let me start again. I, I think that a lot of the photographs that were created um, while I was growing up in Southeast Asia by, you know, kind of very famous and, and, and good photographers were... Um, highlighted in in my life through different channels uh be it through my father and my mother who showed me the work or through through seeing it in the magazines and that conflict in east timor um i think in 1999 um was really prevalent um with the work from john stanmeyer and how he had documented for asia week um and so references like that were popping up all the time and when i heard that there was sort of civil unrest in east timor um that sparked uh, a conflict between the police and then the the military and the renegade soldiers and sort of a, a East Timor and West East Timor, so West Timor, West aligned East Timorese and East aligned East Timorese, uh, and sort of this inequality that was happening there. I felt like that was a good moment to go and and leave the newspaper and try and figure out if I can actually do this kind of work that I uh, really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And and so so do you. Do you feel like that was another pivotal moment in your in your career, just doing that or, you know, co- uh, covering this conflict? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I had thought about going to cover a conflict since two thousand four or five, quite at the beginning of of becoming a photographer. Um, partly because of the influence of the Foreign Correspondence Club, which was sort of my home base in Hong mm-hmm. Kong, where okay. all these famous photographers were hanging out, you know, like Nick Ut uh, and my mentor Hugh Van Ness and Robin Moyer and a bunch of other photographers who were part of the era of the Vietnam War or later uh, and had influenced me heavily. So th- th- I was kind of, um, I-, I had already known then that I wanted to do this work, but it took quite a few years to figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. I had gone to workshops and seminars, you know, and then you're sitting with a hundred young photographers, and these famous war photographers are sitting on the on the uh, on the podium, and you know, somebody asks, like, "I want to become a war photographer. How do I do this?" And you know, <laughs> the sort of the photographers just stared back and couldn't answer it. And and those were the moments I realized, like, th- this can't be figured out by an, an, you know, a question and answer. Mm-hmm. Like you had to just do it and then see if this works for you. Mm-hmm. So East Timor was that moment where I was like, okay, I think I'm ready now to go. Uh, I, I have the equipment that I need. Um, I, I feel confident that this is the moment I should um, take that next step to uh, go and document something that I've, mm-hmm. the work that I actually want to do, not the newspaper work right. in Hong right. Kong. So, and I think that, that I was kind of a fed up with, being a newspaper photographer in Hong Kong, I wanted to get closer to reality. I wanted to be closer to people. And I feel like that I wasn't getting that while being in Hong Kong doing press conferences and mm-hmm. documenting uh, portraits of, you know, 
doctors and yep. being in tall buildings and <laughs> right. you know escalators and elevators and yeah. I, I wanted to get closer to reality yeah and 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 that felt like the right moment yeah yeah and, and, and what you just mentioned is a perfect lead into my next question a little bit but also the how so so since you covered this conflict you documented many other conflicts and critical social issues and humanitarian crises and i'm i am curious about you know the process of how you cover those events i obviously naturally as a, as a photographer you you cover things via imagery but i'm curious actually do you also how do you cover the i guess the the verbal side of things or is that something where you collaborate with other journalists or do you write yourself or um yeah just curious about that that process there are different stages i think in the early stages i was really there as a photographer not working with anybody else just because i hadn't um you know had that collaboration with other journalists or or publications where that was required i think what was required in the beginning or what i could do was rely on myself to get out there and produce strong fo photos uh not just to be there but to actually you know produce uh, imagery that would sort of ele be elevated Uh, than other than other photographers and this is not to be like the best but it you had to stand right. out to you know there's so many young photographers that are doing work around the world how do you stand out and that that was something that i really knew i had to do um for your question i i was doing a bit of everything i i okay. i was recorded audio um okay. that was since since 2007 and 8 i was recording sound um still do um, I think it's really important to sit down and talk to people. So, yeah. you know, I, I would always have a notebook and a pen and, and do interviews and get the mm -hmm. details, partly A, to get, you know, strong captions and strong descriptions of situation, but B, also to get to know people better. Mm -hmm. I find that a lot of photographers will, you know, just take the pictures and then not, not communicate with the people so much. And I think that's a big step that helps uh, sort of soften everything up. And mm -hmm. I explain who I am and they explain who they are. And we just figure out how to get closer and uh, build a bond that, that allows us to work even better together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The, oh, that's super interesting. So, so yeah, so you're so basically, so you're capturing things, you're writing things down, you have audio and is the audio being used sometimes or is that just more for your rec recollection um, i I'm, i used to quite a bit for slideshows and presentations okay. and things like that um so you could not only you know see the visuals but hear maybe the gunshots or there's a there's a part where i'm walking towards a, a front line position with tanks firing and mm -hmm. then you hear the sound of my steps in the grass and as you as I'm walking, you can hear, you know, me walking closer to the frontline position as the explosions get bigger. And and that was a way to like draw people into the work and, and make it real, you know. And I think that mm -hmm. was also those early times when multimedia became a thing and the idea of like putting pictures and audio together really flourished with, with mm -hmm. you know, the internet being able to do that as well, where we could show both video and, uh, sorry, photographs and audio yep. together in one uh, yep. that was sort of new as well you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. that, that, yeah now we're right. sort of used to it but then it was yes like how can we do this online and right uh, and a bunch of publications did it there was a guy uh, called brian storm he had media storm uh, he was doing incredible work with slideshows and sound <laughs> and and yeah that just felt like a really in that was around that time as well so audio always was part of my my kit yeah yeah oh that's great um 
so I noticed that while you are a documentary photography, and you alluded to that a little bit, your work is very artistic and perhaps even cinematic. And so, so for example, when I look at the sequence of the fallout, which is your coverage of the Fukushima nuclear crisis after the earthquake or tsunami in Japan. Um, so, yeah, I just noticed that kind of cinematography cinematog quality. <laughs> um, and um, I was just curious, are you, first of all, are you interested in cinematography? Is that something that's, that maybe is more conscious? Um, uh, yeah i think it's 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 sort of different things as well i think it's theater i studied okay. theater in high school quite quite heavily uh, okay. i did a lot of productions i wrote uh, productions i was part of set designs and things like that so i think that that part of theater and lighting and 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 what go, what's on stage i think a lot of photos sometimes feel like a stage you know you have you, you have your stage and you start bringing in the lights or whatever the light brings you you know and then you place the people inside the people walking through a scene and I, I kind of feel like that could be like a stage in, in a in a theater um i think that that's quite he have a strong influence from from doing that since i'm 14 mm -hmm. as well as uh having you know done gone into film and and um wanting to study film and doing that for a year um and then moving over to photography i think that all kind of is is um connected for sure i think theater though is a bit stronger part of me that i that was part of my upbringing mm -hmm. uh, and in school and everything that really i think had an effect on how i make pictures mm -hmm. and you have worked on extensive photographic essays including um many african countries haiti egypt gaza iraq and japan are there is there an essay that maybe stands out to you or that you're particularly proud of i mean they're all you know many of them can be seen on your website and we'll link to that and they're all they all look really impressive um but just curious if there's one that kind of really is maybe is particularly close to you or that you're particularly proud of um that's difficult i okay I, I don't hang on to my work so strongly okay. i wish i did more okay. you know I, I don't have a lot of books i, I don't kind of work my way through my work if that makes yep, sense yep, as, yep, as much as i does. wish i did um i think i'm in a, a storyteller i'm an assignment photographer i like working for publications to produce stories and tell stories i think that's yep. sort of the foremost and then the second thing is to document so we don't forget like to document yep. the now uh, mm -hmm. so in 10 20 30 years we can look back and see what happened so that's sort of the second motivation and a lot of times i, I kind of uh, don't don't find the time to do the third one where I really like dig deep into uh, work I've done and, and kind of and 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 and, um, and like think of, of how to put that all together. Produce Fukushima. it maybe or make a book or something. Yeah, Fukushima yep. is a really yep. good example. I've been working this yep. story since you know over ten years and spent almost every year one month to six months there to try mm. and produce work that will at one point become a book. Uh, but I generally don't feel i'm finished yet and i yeah. think this is a long-term story so i'm still yep. at, at yep. it <laughs> yeah um yeah from 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 moments that are important they're they're not really series they're sort of these little moments that i had uh, while being you know in the field working yep. um you know being uh, in the nuba mountains in sudan uh you know after having crossed from south Sudan and and documenting the war there with these with the rebel soldiers and the families kind of united to to you know follow their cause that was something that will always you know stick with me mm -hmm. obviously the work in fukushima um you know working inside the nuclear power plant is still something that kind of like 
is frightening and and has really you know it still shakes me um to the core when thinking that, yep. that i did that um and mm-hmm. and and to think about the people that actually do that all the time there and i was only right. there for a couple of hours there's those moments you know there's not this mm-hmm. series that i can tell you but there's right. for every every yep. little story there's those moments that uh, are yep. connected to people really that that mm-hmm. uh that i take i hold on to, hold on to yep yep that, that makes a lot of sense Let's talk a little bit about the creative process of when you create, you know, a photographic essay or, you know, just working on a project. Um, when you cover those events and, and document them, do you, you know, you mentioned you're, you're working in the now, but do you have sometimes an idea or maybe a visualization or a vision um, on what, you know, what that story might might look like? Or or do you just kind of let let yourself just kind of be in the now and, <laughs> and go along <laughs> with with whatever happens um so so very much in the moment um i think it's a, it's a mix of both okay for, for sure i prepare for a story in terms of like what is what are the visual elements uh this story can bring are these visual elements interesting are how long will it take to do this kind of story and is is this something you want to invest time and money into mm-hmm. or or is this maybe just a simple story that doesn't work visually or doesn't translate visually as good um that would be step one step two would be then make a list of i like i call it a shot list of things yep. that i would yep. think of this story needs to have um and then the third would be to use that shot list only as a guide and once you're there to you know follow the story as it as it progresses or the people yep. that you meet and not hold on to those visuals that you had in your mind. I think that could get quite dangerous. I use them as a guideline, so I'm sure mm-hmm. to impact my day from morning to night with things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't let that dictate the story because the dangers would be that you then have, um, you're, you're looking for those pictures and, and those moments that might not really reflect the true story that's happening right. on the ground. Right, uh, but there's a bit of both the preparation yep. uh, of this shot list, uh, but then also letting the story um, kind of guide me uh, yep. into what it really is. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Now, an important aspect of visual storytelling with still images is sequencing, or in other words, you know, the order in which images are are shown eventually. And I'm curious: is this something, you know? you do yourself or do you typically then work with photo editors in 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 your professional work to to help with that i think this is one of the most under um appreciated moments in working a story i think (laughs) uh, logistics and getting to the story is a really big part um and and figuring out how to tell the story because you could you know i i was in ukraine and you can be in ukraine but what do you do then you know how do you look for stories and how do you get to that in front of a, a, a scene that will bring you closer to that story those are all like three things then obviously there's the taking a picture which is really the smallest part of this whole process mm-hmm. uh, then there's the you know the downloading the cataloging the renaming of the files you know doing the captions for the pictures as clearly as possible and then finally there's the sequencing um yep. of of the series and i think it can really make or break your whole presentation of your story is in sequencing um um and a lot of times i do i will do that for my own presentations or i'll work closely with editors and picture editors who are uh commissioning the 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 story um it's a bit of a mix and match because okay. if it's for for time magazine or for uh, nz set the, the paper that i work for now uh, i will 
work with the picture editors or they'll just do it. Um, so it's a collaboration or it's completely a handover. Mm -hmm. Or um, if it's for, you know, pr presentations or things where I'm more um, involved, I will I will work on the sequencing myself. Um, mm -hmm. That said, I'll always somehow have a sequencer ready, even if it's a small edit, uh, just right. to see if I got everything, you know, and yeah. uh, and yeah. making the sequence helps you see your 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 holes, you know, it'll, it'll, right. it'll right. highlight, oh, you know, I still need this or that because I can see it here. I've, right. I've, I have a sequence that's not complete. Right. And and when you work with somebody, let's say a time or NZZ who, um, you know, who helps, who's a photo editor, is, is that then, do I understand that correctly? It, is it a iterative process? You also mentioned sometimes they might just do it or is, is that something where you can provide feedback, I guess, if you if you're not super happy with it or... It yeah, again, it depends the client. Depends. I, I think, yep. I think okay. with NZZ, because I'm a staff photographer there and also part of the picture editing team, I, we can really work closely on projects that mean a lot and even think yep. of how we can present it the best way, not only to think of sequencing, but of, of how, how can we present it? Like, is there a way yep. to, to show the work differently and, and, and pull people in in a, in a different way? So I think this is sort of next level <laughs> sequencing where we're okay. also designing uh, and, and looking at storytelling in a whole new way. But if it's for another client, then it'll either be sort of my input and their input, or they'll just do it completely on their own because they're communicating with the you know art directors or the 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 journalists, so they'll take it over completely. Okay. Um, and I'm okay with that as well because I think uh, as a top tip, don't send any any pictures that you don't like because mostly editors will use that picture. <laughs> uh, I learned quite early on to really <laughs> really just send what you what you can stand behind, yep. uh, and don't try and fill gaps with. Images just that you're not happy you're with. not happy uh, yeah so i <laughs> i'm quite i'm quite i'm confident when i do send my edits that the editors that i also know and i've met them will you know i have a lot of confidence in the people i work with because they're yeah. extremely good at what they do um right. so i it's this is not somebody i hadn't you know i would have never met before or something like that um so yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that, yep. that that's that's a confidence in in their ability and their yep. you know profession as well. That makes sense. And so out of curiosity because I'm not, you know, so familiar with with your genre, um when when the photo editors work with with your, you know, with your photographs which obviously are digital. I mean, do they have sometimes the leeway to for example crop it or to do other changes to it or is it typically, you know, this is the picture I don't want that to be you know that you can change the sequence you can change the layout you can change you know whatever right but not not the actual um image itself including cropping um is is that is that also an it, it depends answer or is, is no it a, no i think that's a pretty clear you okay. know communicate with a photographer if you do need to have a crop or something like that okay. if there is a change in the integrity of the image there is more usually uh, you know some sort of communication if it doesn't happen it's maybe just a mistake or something like that but generally okay. you know the more open the the two parties are the the better the whole thing works and smoother okay. for the next time around as well um okay. generally i'll try and and you know if I, i'm already thinking ahead and uh it would be you know maybe this this picture would be you know an opener or a cover so maybe it needs to be vertical uh so i'll produce images both vertically and horizontally for magazines, for example, because yep. I know I know that might be already a question to sort sure. of negate the fact that they have to crop. So yep. uh, 
but that depends on the client again. Um, yep. You know, if you're working for online-based uh, publications, you know, horizontal is uh, sort of the way to go. Vertical, less so, because it's obviously right. how we see things. Although that's changing as well with Instagram and things like that. Yep, yep. Um, maybe one more thing with with uh, sequencing. It's quite interesting. Uh, I I worked for a time from 2011 until 2014, and um, it was always interesting to see sort of the opening image and the closing image of a of a you know six to ten page um, photo essay in the magazine because a lot of times I would imagine the one image I would choose for the opener they chose as the closer and <laughs> the image for the closer would be the opener but the <laughs> rest would always be those would be almost the same like we would mm. choose the same image for opening and closing or vice or vice versa but mm -hmm. those would always be kind of the same choices so that's mm. how in, in in line the editors were with yeah. and we i was with the editors that we almost always had the same pictures it sometimes was an opener and closer but we i was always surprised to see that because that, yeah. yeah that yeah. shows as well that you're kind of thinking we're thinking together oh yeah oh yeah yeah, oh, that's really super fun. interesting. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. fun. <laughs> and sometimes you fun. get surprised as well completely that something right. that you didn't expect is is, yep. is is used in a in a way. But a lot yep. of times you you'll start thinking the same as well. You know. Yeah. Which yep. which I think it can be a good thing and a bad thing. I think at the paper when I that was one of the things I noticed at the South China Morning Post is that I was starting to shoot for the layout. I was starting to sure. shoot for the for the paper and maybe yep. not taking pictures I would normally take. Yeah, and anymore because I knew that like right. uh, they wouldn't use it anyway, and that's dangerous when you start yep. only producing you know the work for the publication and not for yourself. You might lose that I don't know that creative openness yep. that that yep. you need. You know. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Now shifting gears a little bit, and let's talk a little bit about your personal work. Um, first of all, <laughs> and I know you're very busy, <laughs> um, but do you even have time to do personal work? And given your very busy, busy professional schedule, and and if so, what do you what do you tend to photograph for that? What What do you see as personal work? <laughs> oh, well, me, that's personal a, that's work a good is, question. It's very well, blurry. I mean, yeah, it, uh, yeah. Well, for some right. Let's say a commercial photographer, right? They may they may shoot, you know, for a client, you know, some products, but then maybe they like to do landscapes. And maybe in your case, it's just maybe much more blurry. And I, that's a fair, that's a fair answer too. <laughs> yeah, I think personal work would be photographing stuff related to my family or or um, my history, or you know, I I did a trip with my uncle through Germany to retrace uh, the steps they uh, where they lived as a family, where my father was born. So that's sort of personal work, I guess, and I take time for that to to continue the family project, which I've yeah. been doing since I'm like 12. Um, so uh, right. that would be a personal project. But uh, I mean, a personal project for me as well is to try and get back to, you know, Somalia to document the drought that's happening there. That's mm -hmm. part of my personal work. That drive that I have to do that is is not an assignment. And then I'll figure out how to get there through an mm -hmm. assignment. You know, so yep. that's where it blur, blurs a bit. Right, um, right. I'm trying to get back to Fukushima, which is my personal work, but obviously I have to figure out how to find an assignment for that or, or right. a collaboration of sorts. Right, yeah. Uh, 
that makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, so it's a, a bit of a blur. Uh, it, it's a little bit, uh, and I kind of assumed such when I looked at your work that it's probably not an easy, not an easy question. I was just curious um, about it, nevertheless. No, but I'm I'm super lucky because my personal my my work is my personal work. I, yep, I, yep. I, I started <laughs> like that, and I really don't do and much work that I don't feel is personal or is connected to some greater. Um, greater reasoning why I do stuff. Yep. You know, I'm super yep. lucky to be able yep. to really be able to stay the course. Yeah, uh, you, you do what you want to do already <laughs> in your in your professional work, yeah. I assume. Right? I try as best yeah. as I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the creative image editing process. So first, first of all, maybe just curious going a little bit into te technical questions but you know i'm just curious how you edit your images and um maybe first with editing i want to start with maybe with a high level editing meaning selecting or deleting images and then also you know how you eventually you know might might process them i assume as a documentary photographer you know usually there's not a lot of image you know editing or mani manipulation but um just curious what, what what your process is typically all right before i start the process there's no manipulation at all uh yeah yeah we're we have to or I, I mean in this profession we have to keep things as as original as possible yep. as 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 much as we can in a profession that's subjective you know so uh, right. within that frame of being photographing what i'm reacting to and framing how i'm framing that's that's obviously my 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 way of seeing things. Beyond that, we cannot manipulate the image. Um, yeah. But we'll get into that. Yeah. No. Generally, I'll sh I'll shoot about um, if I'm doing a full day's work between you know a thousand and two three thousand pictures because hmm. I fill my day completely as best as possible from early early morning until into the into the night. Um, I tend to like using you know light as best as possible. So that means getting up before the sun comes out ideally mm -hmm. if i can and then staying into the night and then using everything in between sometimes it doesn't work like that just because of where you are the or the situation that you're photographing but it, ideally i would try and get the best light and then and then produce a lot of pictures because i'm a heavy shooter <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I guess i get <laughs> bored quickly or i just keep yeah. trying to to like perfect the the moments or look for moments again so ne never satisfied i think yeah uh and then I'll um, download the images every night. And if I'm on a longer assignment, I'll tend not really look at them. I'll, I'll sort of look at the uh, uh, on the first day and see if I can still do it. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. Okay, I can still yep. take pictures. Fine. And then I'll check on the last day, like the fifth day, to be like, did I? Can I still take pictures? And then I'll check. Oh yeah, I can still take pictures. So <laughs> I'll just to kind of uh, make sure that I I did everything right. I tend to not want to chimp, you know, look at the back of the camera, or um, or look while I'm photographing bigger projects. I like just downloading them every night and then leaving them. That's mm -hmm. it for any other work where I'm working for the newspaper now, where we the turnaround is quite quick. I'll also edit the pictures at night, as in I'll I'll, I'll choose them. Um, there's two things that happen here. One, I'm choosing, I'm looking for the pictures that are good. I'm not looking for the pictures that are bad. I think okay. that's that's a positive way to go through something. Yep. I know pe other people sort of take away the negative, the bad ones. I only mm -hmm. look for the good ones, yep. and then I'll end, <laughs> and then I'll have those good ones selected, and the bad ones are on uh, are not visible, but they're still there. Mm -hmm. I do not delete anything. I keep every frame. Partly, mm -hmm. one is that I can see how I got to that image. 
B, mm-hmm. when we have to enter competitions now, we have to show not only the raw file, but we have to show the images before and after that frame that you took to mm-hmm. show that how did you get to that frame? Is that frame real? Did you uh, coerce somebody to do that? And we they use the images before and after to kind of identify how that image was made and that it's as authentic as possible. Mm-hmm. So generally, if you're starting to le- delete moments in between, you cannot hand that image in for competitions. Right. And, right. and, and thirdly, I, I think sometimes I miss images that I'm selecting. So um, in the heat of the moment, when you're sort of on a, a time deadline, um, maybe I, I miss something. So I tend to yeah. also try not to delete anything for that reason, that maybe yeah. in a year or two, I look at it again and see like, oh, whoa, well, I yeah. totally missed that image, you know? Yeah. That would yeah. have maybe been deleted in the culling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I'll have, uh, you know, from those thousand pictures, I'll have a hundred pictures that I think fit to the story and work well. And then I'll probably have from that day, from those hundred, I'll have ten that I uh, file. So it's mm-hmm. sort of one percent, I guess, uh, okay. of of what I shoot uh, yeah. will be uh, captioned and prepared in a way that it can be sent. Um, I'll do minimal photo editing, sort of contrast, uh, desaturate a little, depending which camera I'm using, um, and a bit of highlights, uh, mm-hmm. you know, bring down the highlights a bit. I tend to not like blown out highlights at all. I already shoot to make sure that doesn't happen, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, just make sure that highlights are are not blown out. Yep. Yep. But so very min- very <laughs> yeah, minimal yeah. then. Yep, yep, yeah. got it. Usually yep. when I have an exhibition and the pictures need to go and be blown up very big, I'll have a photo editor that will go through those images again and really look and make sure there's no dust or dirt or anything like that, um, which yep. I, I look for the, the really obvious ones. But as soon as it gets more intricate, I'm, I don't touch it because I don't I don't want to yeah. mess with the integrity of the image, and I'm generally yeah. not very good at it. So yeah. <laughs> I'll, make, I'll actually make it worse. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so part, um, Dominic, so part Sorry, that of that was the, a very that no, was no, a very this is a great answer. no, no, this is a very good answer. I I love that. I I'm just always very curious about that, and it ma- makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, no, it's a very good answer. Um, so so Dominic, part of the creative process is also um choosing a a focal length um are you do you have a particular focal length that you keep going back to um or do you you know or is it of course i understand it sometimes depends on on the assignment and so forth but what what is your usual uh (laughs) what are your usual culprits for the focal length very detailed with these questions. Yeah, <laughs> I'm revealing a lot in this podcast. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we can we can edit it later no, if no, you don't no, want. No, <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, I um, the 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 focal length that is my sort of focal length. I'll always go back to, and is sort of the original focal length for how I see the world is 35 millimeter. Okay, um, it's the the one that I found when I was about 16 that really um, identified the the people. In, that I was photographing in the distance, I wanted to stand from them. I was close enough to be in inside that bubble, but far enough not to be in their face. Uh, and it just felt like the perfect distance for me. So 35 mm-hmm. millimeter is, is I, I have backups for the 35. So okay. <laughs> just in case one thirty five breaks, <laughs> yep. uh, I have another because I, I don't think I could survive with, yep. with none. I, yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so, I guess before we wrap up, I have a couple more questions, but um, for somebody who's interested in maybe a young photographer and, and, and he or she are interested in getting into documentary photography, what, 
you know, are there certain tips or certain things you would t tell them, you know, how to, how to get even in, you know, started on that? <laughs> yeah, I think the, the main, the first thing would really be to understand that this is not just like some weird thing where you get a talent and then you're, you're talented and then you can make pictures. I think it's, it's like a sport. It's a, tra it's training. Mm -hmm. So if yeah. you want to go in this direction, you actually have to go out and photograph and try things and make mistakes and make mistakes and make mistakes to get closer to, uh, the photograph that you want to take. I think that's, that's the first thing I, I teach at different schools here in Switzerland. And I feel a lot of times I can tell the ones that are, are really good at what they do is the ones that really commit like a, like all their time to documenting, mm -hmm. uh, their project, you know, that, that really think outside the box. And, and mm -hmm. it's the first thing they think when they go to sleep and it's the last, th uh, uh, when they wake up and it's the last thing they think of when they go to sleep. I think that's how, how that's how involved you need to be to get, to really want to go for this, like mm -hmm. anything else, really. Um, mm -hmm. I think, it just seems so easy. Um, you know, mm -hmm. you see it everywhere on Instagram, you see all these really good pictures and, and you think, you know, that's, I, it's quite easy to make a picture, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're visually trained now through all these visual applications like Instagram to know what a good picture is. And, and a lot mm -hmm. of people can make a good picture, but to be really a good documentary photographer, you have to fall into something. You have to emotionally kind of lose yourself. And that can only happen if you allow yourself to fall and, and make mistakes and, and be daring to be open and vulnerable. And those mm -hmm. are all these elements that help you to get closer to something that you want to document. Mm -hmm. It's that, I think vulnerability and, and dedication to the story that gets you there. I know that's a really long answer to, no, no. to do it, but I, no. I, I really feel that, um, there's no easy way uh, right. around, around this um, to be a good documentary photographer. You have to like be completely dedicated to it. Um, one of my friends, um, she, for her, when she's working a story, she, she says she's, she doesn't feel she is completely satisfied until she's there when the subject falls asleep and taking pictures and she's there taking pictures when the subject wakes up <laughs> that, that amount of dedication. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Now, you mentioned to me that you covered when we emailed um, um, back and forth on, on getting this scheduled as well, that you covered the conflict in, in Ukraine. Is, th is this correct? Yeah. 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 Can you tell me a little bit more about y your experience there so far? Um, I mean, it's 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 lots of different experiences I, mm -hmm. for me personally it was the first time i worked so closely with nzz as a staffer uh this was really kind of a very important moment for me one of those pivotal moments in my career where i'm not working as a freelance photographer anymore mm -hmm. i'm part of a big family um and working with a big team and different correspondents and and different picture editors and 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 art directors and suddenly being part of this big family, I think I've, that's the mm -hmm. first time that I've really felt completely integrated in a, in a publication like that. Um, so that already alone was a, a personally a very, uh, yep. uh, like it felt really important to mm -hmm. do the best I can when I'm out in the field. Um, but of course, once you're there, all that goes away and you were really focused on trying to tell the story and then, and, and be committed to, to going as deep as possible to tell what, what's happening. Um, and I, I think in the beginning, I, we were in Lviv uh, with a correspondent who really knows his, this area. He's a historian uh, and journalist. And, and I learned a lot 
from him um, about you know the different sort of historical lines, mm-hmm. uh, and that was kind of important to to do that with with uh, with Evo, the, the journalist for um, NZZ. And then later on, uh, we I went traveling with Daniel Böhm and NZZ correspondent, who's normally in Beirut, uh, mm-hmm. and both of us uh, then spent about three weeks kind of moving our way from the the west, from Lviv to Kiev, working Kiev and north of Kiev, moving our way closer to the east, Nipro, moving our way closer to Saporizhia, uh, and then finally really being on the front line in the Donbas region to document the soldiers that were holding a town, um, you know, with the Russians being uh, the next town uh, ahead. Mm -hmm. So it was this process of trying to get closer to the front line or line zero, as they call it, and Mm -hmm. then meeting people along the way and doing stories along the way. Um, And this build up to getting to that moment was Mm -hmm. really, uh, really intense. Um, Right. That yeah, I there, it's, there's there's a lot that goes on. I yeah. think um, generally it also felt a bit different for me because normally I'm I'm not in in a in a European theater or landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, that right. was ex- extremely jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I'm in the back of pickup trucks in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, you know in extreme heat or whatever. Yeah. Um, being part of this movement to get and and being really alone uh, um, towards a story uh, with maybe another photographer or a journalist and being in the middle of nowhere versus being in Ukraine and being part of a big sort of mm-hmm. media um, pool with so many photographers and journalists being there. So that was also a bit jarring. And then also mm-hmm. being so close to Zurich. I mean, you just yeah. <laughs> once you cross over the border, you're in Poland, take a flight and you're in Zurich. Right. Yeah. You know, it's re- and it really right. felt the same. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really, you know, Lviv is so, so cool. It's such a cool place. Uh, Kiev is so cool and people are so well-dressed and it just feels mm-hmm. so hip and, and, and calm and cool. It's mm-hmm. the, and then there's this war that's in the background. It's so bizarre. Um, yeah. um, that also was really jarring that, that it's right. actually, I wish I had been there before the war. It's such a great place. Yeah. Um, and so so friendly people and and the food's mm-hmm. fantastic and it's just like this inviting place yeah. um and then and then it's like oh wait a second i'm not here for this yeah <laughs> as the bomb alarm right. goes off you're like right. oh this is you know you're you're here for something else and it yeah um it's jarring yeah. <laughs> i know that's a lot of information no Maybe no that is probably, that's great information no but and, that's and, sort of that those emotions that are coming up it's like right. ah, your yep. personal emotions are in there that i'm yep. in a new phase of my career that's important then it's like you're in a new place that's actually fantastic and then mm-hmm. the reminder that there's a war going on and you really have to right. like get close to the story so you tell you know the people that are reading the publication what's really happening right. um, so right. and that all mushes together <laughs> yeah yeah well and and something i'm curious about before and and then i'll get probably to my my last question after that but just one more thing on 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 that note i mean you have a lot of experience now in you know starting covering conflicts and being you know close to to um the front and so forth um but how do you deal with i mean obviously this is <laughs> this can be very dangerous business that you're in so how do you deal with that and how do you you know what are the things that you're kind of watching out for or, you know that you can stay safe i guess i mean i don't think i'm a 
conflict or war photographer. I tend to just be in those places because I'm I'm looking at the bigger picture and I'm okay. documenting people that are going through that. But I tend to not think of myself as a conflict or war photographer because I don't I don't really like that kind of work. Um, and yep. I need some images that highlight that there is a war going on, but then I'll fall back to looking for people and looking for people's stories. Yep. Um, obviously, there's imagery that you need to 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 identify what's the setting, what is happening here. But yep. then it's important for me to then look for stories that aren't just about the war. It's it's also right. about people, you know. Yep. And um, just to make that clear, because I, I, yep. I tend to try not to be labeled yeah not to be labeled in that in that yeah uh, but but obviously over the years i've learned a lot of different things uh from local journalists and then producers to international photographers and producers um who helped me along the way um we also usually have to go through these different trainings um okay. like hostile environmental uh trainings uh, or courses that we do every couple of years to uh help us get our skill levels up again from medical training to you know um what do you do when you get kidnapped to all those different things those okay. are trainings that we can that we sh we should do yeah. um and then there's just things that you kind of pick up along the way and and try and do as you as as it is appropriate but obviously yeah. the security sort of um procedures in Mogadishu and Somalia are different than in Kiev in Ukraine. Um, so you have to then just figure out what are what kind of security um, things do you need to do here? What are the ones that you need to do there? Um, so it depends on the place as well. Yep, yep. But I mean, if you have any specific uh, question or scene or something like that, then I can be more specific. No, no, that, no that's very helpful. No, I was just, uh, that was a great answer. Thank, thanks uh, for uh, that. I mean, generally with hotels, uh, you know, try and um, try and what I do is check all the exits, you know, so I'll, I'll go to my room, make sure the room's not on the ground floor or the first floor, ideally second or third floor. So you can still so you're not just down at the at the entry level, but you're mm -hmm. also not high enough that you can't jump out of the, the room because it's, okay. I think after the fourth floor, you doesn't matter it what happens, <laughs> it'll, it'll get dangerous. Yep. But from the third floor down, you're still okay. Uh, you might break something, but you can escape the fire or whatever might happen. Then you want to make sure that you check the entra entrance and exits of the building to just know that um, that they work. I we mm -hmm. we did a, we walked into a hotel uh, in Lviv and. I just jokingly said to the journalist, like, let's do this right now. And then we walked to the back entrance, the fire escape, and the fire escape was locked. Oh. So it's one of those things where yeah. you, if you walk it, you'll you'll see, you know, what are the ones that worked and don't work. Just so mm -hmm. in the moment when things get really crazy, your you, your your yeah. motor skills are kicking in, and you've done it before. Yeah. So ideally, that's with everything. You that's just an mm. example with the hotel. Yeah. yeah. But it's 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 sort of everything. You right. want to make sure that you've like kind of walked done it before hmm. uh same with the car you know does the car work are the brakes good is the driver good um yeah. you know does everything work do the lights work <laughs> it's really yeah. dumb but at, if you're driving right. at night and it's a little crazy then right really it's good important. to know that the lights work yes. yeah or the brakes <laughs> exactly. work um, yeah exactly <laughs> do the doors work um right. make sure we're mm -hmm. not you know six people in the car does everybody have an exit of the door so yeah. you might, usually don't want to have three people in the back because the middle person at back is then you know blocked in so mm -hmm how can you exit the vehicle as fast as possible? Mm -hmm. uh, do the seatbelts work? You know, again, but that's just the car. That's just the hotel. Yep. And then you start adding all the other stuff yeah, as well. All the <laughs> different know? scenarios. Yeah, and that, no, that's, that's what, what that's yep. what's happening constantly. So, mm -hmm. uh, 
mm-hmm. um, get to a new place or, you know, you enter a city. How does it feel? You know, where where is our exit in case like with Ukraine? There was a lot of conversation when we went to different places. It's like, how do we exit in case the Rus- Russians do enter? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the warning signs for that? There's two bridges. Will they bomb one of those two bridges or both bridges? Will we be able to exit? What would, you know, so you're constantly mm-hmm. doing this like right. during the day, you're having conversations at night, in the morning, and deciding different movements through those different mm-hmm. kind of thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's su- I think that's super helpful. I, I, yeah, because I haven't been in, in, in such a situation. So it's, yeah. it's super It's like helpful. a heightened level of alert that's hard yep. to come down when you sort of come to a normal place <laughs> but <Yep. laughs> i function very not very well but i think i function quite well in those heightened places because i'm quite paranoid um okay. and that paranoia <laughs> is level with like the place you're in you know yep. so you're much more Sorry. aware and picking up yep. things sounds uh, smells uh anything feels odd you know you, you know when somebody's watching you you yep. can feel that like yep. think of that but for everything right. <laughs> yeah for everything oh <laughs> uh, yeah well, that's no, thank you. It's super helpful. So to wrap, uh, last question, um, where can people best find you online? Um, currently for all the new work, um, I guess it's at nzz.ch. That's a lot of the work that I'm producing now is on there. But okay. then also um, on my Instagram that I'm trying to keep up, but I'm not so okay. good at it. Uh, so it's, it's trickling in slowly. Um, I also have a website that I'm working on to update it so that (laughs) hopefully that will happen at some point too. Um, and there's a bunch of YouTube stuff that's out through the collaboration with Leica because I'm a Leica ambassador for Switzerland. So there's a bunch of stuff out there as well for that. Okay. Wonderful. Well, we'll, we'll try to link to all that in the show (laughs) notes and, uh, (laughs) that's awesome. And so. Thanks so much for speaking with me today, Dominic. It was really great. Uh, glad we could find some time and I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Daniel, for your patience and uh, commitment to <laughs> make yeah. this happen. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. This wraps up our episode with Dominic Narr. I hope you enjoyed it. I thought it was super interesting to learn more about him and his photography and the life of a documentary photographer. Also want to thank all the people who have supported the show thus far via buymeacoffee.com. If you're interested and like the podcast, you can do so as well. Just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Daniel Sick and all the support will go directly to the production costs of the show. Thanks so much for listening and talk to you next time. (music) 